time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, September 18th, 2020. Thank you so much for joining us and happy Friday to everyone out there as we move into another weekend full of sports, full of uh, events, full of fun things, hopefully for you and everyone else out there. Uh, A lot of things to watch over the weekend. Let me tell you, again, I've said this most weekends the past few weeks, uh, sports is there and ready for you to watch, to consume. You have options. If you don't like one sport or don't like what some other sport is doing, you can go look at another sport. I mean, this is crazy. The month of September in 2020 has just been uh, full of a full slate of sports action. Just some crazy, uh, crazy things all going on at the same time. I mean, uh, the NFL got going. College football's a couple weeks in. More teams starting up this week. On Saturday, we got the U.S. Open, the Golf U.S. Open uh, out in New York. A very tough course. Going to be a lot of fun to watch how that plays out over the weekend. Four days of uh, some tough golfing, as anyone who's a bad golfer like me uh, can appreciate a little bit when you see that the stars really struggle a little bit out there doing something that that is very difficult and playing in a very tough course. So we will chat about the U.S. Open results, I'm sure, on Monday But good luck to everyone out there as they get going here with a very, very tough uh, couple of rounds of golf over the weekend. I mentioned football. Uh, Major League Baseball is uh, rolling right along. They have announced their playoff bubble that will be starting up in uh, in late uh, September or October, I should say, early October. Uh, to four locations, I should say, Los Angeles and San Diego for the American League playoffs and Houston and Arlington for the National League playoffs. Very different look we're going to see from Major League Baseball in the postseason, and it'll be here before we know it. We're on the we're in the home stretch, and keep in mind, 16 teams make the playoffs this year, so every game really does matter. It's going to be quite quite the race here. Uh, a few weeks left, and uh, I haven't watched a ton of baseball, quite honestly, but I might tune in a little bit more now with uh, with things kind of winding down. Uh, I can't believe the season is is almost over. This very very shortened season so be sure to tune in with that the uh, nhl nba playoffs they continue to go on getting down to the uh, the final four here congrats to the dallas stars in hockey for being the western conference champions they will represent the west in the stanley cup playoffs and uh, we're recording this on on thursday so for total transparency we don't know if it will be the tampa bay lightning or the New York Islanders yet in the Eastern playoffs, uh, Eastern Conference champion uh, advancing to the Stanley Cup final. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, NBA, there's been some drama, uh, you know, this and that with some of the playoff series. I haven't been watching much, as I've said plenty of times, but I've just kind of seen some of the headlines and things like that. So crazy times ahead. So many sports options, guys. I hope you have plenty of TVs over the weekend to really consume uh, everything. It's just uh, some good stuff. Uh, If you're a sports fan, and you don't even have to be a sports uh, officials fan, uh, we have a great guest today. Bill McCabe is on the program. Uh, Bill has a ton of experience in the world of officiating, and I'm not talking just high school or or junior college or whatever. Bill McCabe, 
uh, is one of the few individuals who officiated Division I football and Division I uh, basketball at the college level. He worked many years in the WAC and the Mountain West for football, and then he also worked uh, basically all the conferences out here on the West Coast in basketball, the Pac-12, the Big West, the uh, Mountain West, the WAC, the WCC. So a lot of uh, stories from his officiating days in both of those sports, over 31 years of uh, college football officiating and 17 years of college basketball officiating. Plenty of good stories. He'll, he'll uh, say some names. I'm sure you've, you will uh, recognize, we'll say, uh, some legendary coaches and just kind of some interactions and some stories that he's had over the years. Uh, Bill has also been the supervisor of officials in the past for the Pac-12 uh, basketball officiating program. From 05 to 2011, he was the uh, he was in charge. He was the coordinator of the officiating program. Uh, he then moved on and was the coordinator of officials for the Big West for roughly five years. So a lot of experience for him to talk about as a someone who kind of ran things, kind of oversaw the officiating, uh, made the decision as to who's who was on what games, and, and answered plenty of phone calls from some upset Pac-12 uh, coaches or Big West coaches. So he'll tell us about all of that. Additionally, uh, Bill McCabe, some experience in the NFL. He was a replay official for five years. So he'll tell us some stories about that and kind of what it was like uh, being up in the booth with all the pressure. Uh, give you guys some insight into that because many of us feel like we are all replay officials sitting on our couch watching a game. Uh, but we wanted you guys to have an opportunity to maybe hear about uh, somebody who who uh, really has to do it is really has all the pressure on them, all eyes on them and make those decisions. So uh, he'll talk about that. I know Bill McCabe from working at Fox studios with him. We worked alongside Mike Pereira and uh, Dan Blandino, where I worked with alongside Bill. I should say we worked for Pereira and Dean Blandino. Uh, they're the, they're the stars making all the money and making all the decisions, but we had plenty of opportunities to work together over the years there. And it was there where Bill kind of brought me along to be, the a big west uh, basketball replay official uh the past few years so it was bill who kind of got me involved in that again bill's had his hand in a lot of different things had a great impact on so many different uh levels of officiating and football and basketball so it's going to be a lot of fun uh talking to him or having you guys hear our interview i should say it was an absolute blast catching up with bill it's been a long time we're not going to see each other at fox this year but uh you know because of they're co- they're keeping people distance. They don't want people in there, um, but but it's okay. We've we've been doing it ten years, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, a few things for the weekend. I thought I'd get into a few things here. I just kind of mention a few football games, um, specifically college games on Saturday. Um, I wanted to kind of give you uh, I don't know just just some highlights, some some things to look forward to. Uh, Notre Dame. They are going to be hosting uh, Southern Flor South Florida. I should say. Uh, they're 26 point favorites. Uh, Notre Dame ranks seventh in the country. Uh, that's always curious to tune in on Saturday to see what Notre Dame does. Um, another decent game. Central Florida is playing Georgia Tech, but probably the best game of the evening is is of the day is Miami against Louisville. That'll be played in the evening. Louisville only favored by two and a half points, so uh, that should be very interesting. Pretty good matchup. 17 versus 18. Um, I'm not always sure how people determine these rankings when you haven't seen anybody play. You can't go back to last year because it's all new players. So I always found that the top 25 was very interesting when you see these rankings in college football. It's like no one, nobody knows who's who, like nobody knows anything about anybody. 
sure, a quarterback returning or, or you know, maybe the consistency of a head coach at a program. But really, I don't think there should be any rankings until probably, I don't know, four games in. I know this is a shortened season and everything for most teams. But, I mean, seriously, you shouldn't really have any any rankings until about four weeks in because then you have some criteria at least, you know, or even three weeks in. Usually it's a 12-game season. Most teams are playing a 10-game season this year. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, also, some college football news. It looks like the Big Ten will, in fact, be back. They will be starting sometime in October. And uh, all all reports are pointing towards the Pac-12 doing the same thing, potentially the Mountain West as well. So somehow all these conferences got scared away by the coronavirus and everything. Uh, but after some backlash, some uproar, we will say, uh, they kind of are pulling the, uh, never mind, we want to play now uh, thing. So what, whatever the reasoning is, maybe they look foolish, maybe they don't. I'm just glad that college football is going to come back. Uh, not played in the spring. That's not when college football is played. It's played in the fall. And a lot of people want to see college football played. Okay. There's, you see in the NFL being played, you know, albeit without most stadiums, without fans. You've seen college football played for a few weeks now. I think that's really given an idea or really shown these other conferences that decided not to play like, uh, okay, I think we made a mistake. And the seasons, unfortunately, are going to be affected. Some of these conferences, Pac-12, Big Ten, they might only be playing like eight-game seasons. All right, but I will say that's better than nothing. It's better than playing in the spring when no one is really watching or anything like that. So – I can swallow the 10-game the season for most of these schools, but but the fact that some schools are only going to play eight games, that's pretty weird to me because if it's safe for 10 games, it's safe for 12 games. If it's safe for 10 games, it's safe you know, safe for eight games, it's safe for 10 games. Uh, but that's just me. I know I'm a, I don't know, someone who wants to call me an extremist or what, but uh, those are my thoughts anyway. I'm just happy to see college football back. I think it's heading in a good direction after it looked like uh, college football might not be happening. Uh, you know what? It is uh, coming back, we'll say, even though it feels like it didn't leave a- at all when uh, we've been playing college football for a few weeks now. I got to give props to the schools that really stayed strong in all this, uh, or the conferences, I should say, the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, the Power 3, really, that, that never wavered. Uh, maybe they were hesitant, but they, they stayed strong and they, they, kept the, uh, they kept the eye on the prize, if you will, that College football being played is a good thing, I think, for so many people. Any sports, really. It unites us. It gives something, gives people something to root for, and I think that's really wonderful. So uh, kudos to the people who who stayed strong and stayed the course, and it's good to see that uh, some more people, I think, who who made some mistakes and saying, ah, we probably shouldn't play, are uh, you know getting their heads uh, screwed on correctly and coming back to join everybody else. Well, guys, uh, we're going to keep it short today for our intro because I do want to get to our segment that we've been doing every single Friday called Suds with Studs. Basically, every Friday in between my intro and the interview with our guest, I try to share a brief summary, a brief story about somebody or a group of people uh, really that inspires us. And a lot of it has been people that were in law enforcement, uh, some military uh, personnel. Our first few weeks, we kind of talked only about Medal of Honor winners. All right. But in, in the current climate, we'll say, I think it's appropriate that we honor some law enforcement. We talk about firefighters. Um, last week on September 11th, we actually 
uh, did two separate shows. And in one show, we kind of just dedicated to our remembrance of September 11th and the tragedies in New York, Washington, D.C. Um, and Pennsylvania. Uh, and then as part of kind of sharing my memories with you guys uh, about how I remember September 11th, we did a special segment of Suds with Studs. It was about 20 minutes where we honored the members of United 93, the brave uh, men and women who fought back on that plane fought back against the terrorists and uh, unfortunately uh, caused the plane to crash in a field in Pennsylvania, but ultimately it did not hit its target in Washington, D.C., and those people uh, went down as heroes and saved so many lives, Uh, and it was just the American spirit, really, in fighting back and beginning the fight back against the the evils of terrorism. So that was last week. That kind of gives you an idea about some of the things we've been talking about on our Suds with Studs segment. And we call it Suds with Studs because if it were at all possible, these are people that I would love to sit down and have a beer with. And you could be, be assured that I would not just be buying the first round, but all the rounds. So that's what we call it Suds with Studs. It's a little corny, I know, but it's what we came up with. And I'm very proud of it. The fact that we've been doing it now for a few months, where on Fridays, we spend a little bit of time and we don't go into too much detail. We just kind of give a brief summary. And as always, I always encourage you guys to put some time in, Google these names, just whatever you got to do, look up some information on these people and and just kind of pay tribute to them, read up on them just a little bit. Take five minutes, five minutes to look up the names, the situation, the event, and learn something about it. Because I think these are people that usually um, most of the people I've talked about are people who are no longer with us. So it's not possible to sit down and have a beer with them. But again, if it were at all possible, uh, it would be something that would be a tremendous, tremendous honor. And that's why we like to talk about it every single Friday and, and picking a uh, person or a group of people that really do inspire us. So if you have any suggestions, uh, always throw them my way. We've talked about police officers. We've talked about uh, firefighters, uh, military personnel. Uh, last week, again, with 9-11, it was civilians. It could be anybody, but that's kind of the idea, kind of the groups of people we like to talk about on Fridays for a short time between our interview and our introduction. Um, so if you have any suggestions, please throw them my way. It doesn't have to be people that have lost their lives. There have been plenty of people that we've talked about that were living, that are li- still living, and uh, that are very uh, heroic people. And, and it's really nice that we continue to have stories like this uh, available to us. And we've had some great some suggestions from some listeners. So keep them coming our way. Uh, I have a few from some listeners lined up already that I'm going to do. Um, we're going to get to those, uh, you know, every weekend or every Friday, we'll put them together. But for now, guys, if you have any more, send them our way. We would love to uh, start looking up information on them and make it happen. So we are going to go into our Suds with Studs segment now. And then right after that, you will be uh, listening to our interview with Bill McCabe. Uh, Lots to talk about with him. Happy Friday to everybody out there. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy our Suds with Studs segment. And then enjoy the interview with Mr. Bill McCabe. (music) 
Well, guys, it's Friday, and on Fridays we've been doing our Suds with Studs segment, basically honoring people that inspire us, that have showed tremendous courage or heroism,、uh, just very,、um, very passionate acts of, of that really can、uh, lift us up in, in this dark time of 2020.、Um, we've talked about people as far back as the Civil War. We've talked about people from、uh, current wars. We've talked about law enforcement. Um, from not too long ago, we've talked about firefighters. From just a few weeks ago, we've talked about a lot of different people. And today on Suds with Studs, we are going to talk about someone who recently passed away in the line of duty. Although they were retired, they are they they were a, a retired police officer who kind of stepped in during a pretty rough time in our country, and unfortunately, they were killed.、Um, I wish I would have talked about this sooner. This is actually. Uh, occurred not too long ago. It was June second, twenty twenty, and、uh, the person we're going to talk about today is David Dorn, a seventy-seven-year-old、uh, retired police captain from St. Louis, Missouri.、Um, as I mentioned, Mr. Dorn was retired, and he unfortunately was responding to a、uh, a, a robbery. We'll say、uh, in lieu of the. Rioting that was going on in、uh, June because of the、uh, whole George Floyd uh, situation. Uh, again, Mister Mister Dorn was retired, and he、uh, he he went down to help somebody, to help some other people.、Uh, he went down to、uh, Lee's Pawn and Jewelry around two thirty in the morning,、uh, and he was、uh, responding to a burglar alarm of his friend's pawn shop. Pawn shop. That's all he was doing. He went down there、uh, to see if he could salvage anything and, and protect his friend's store,、uh, but unfortunately,、uh, this brave soul was、uh, shot by by looters, by evil people. They、uh, they also streamed his death on Facebook.、Uh, it's a 13 minute video that、uh, was taken down by Facebook,、uh, but the savages. Who were looting and uh, destroying uh, a lot of things in the city of St. Louis?、Um, these they they executed、uh, Mr. Dorn in cold blood,、um, all because he was there trying to get people to stop, trying to get people, trying to restore order. And、uh, it's just so sad that a man、uh, like David Dorn, who spent so many years on the police force, was actually a retired captain.、Um, That he went in to help people, and、uh, in this crazy world of 2020,、um, someone who was trying to help was murdered, murdered in cold blood,、um, and yet there's still people who defend the actions of so many of these looters and these ri- these riots we've seen.、Uh, they just kind of brush aside the fact that people like Mr. Dorn are killed. At the hands of、uh, of criminals, and it's just well, it's a mostly peaceful protest. You hear that all the time. Well, there's nothing peaceful about murdering a retired police officer who's、uh, trying to、uh, protect his friend's pawn shop, who's trying to、uh, help him salvage his store and his goods.、Um, it's just very, very sad. So,、uh, to Mr. Dorn,、uh, thank you for your service, sir. It's very sad that、uh, you know you didn't have to go down there. Seventy-seven years old, you retired, but you did go down there because you knew people needed help. You knew your friend was in trouble, and you knew lots of other people were in trouble. And we see so many times, guys, where people、uh, 
you know, they don't always respond to things. They just kind of like, oh man, that's pretty bad, but they don't do anything about it. Well, Mr. Dorn, he tried to do something about it. He got out of bed. He went down to try to help people and, and he was killed and he was killed simply for uh, trying to stop the, the looters from, from taking things. And uh, it's just so horrific, not only that he was killed, but that it was filmed on, on Facebook Live. Just very, very sad. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to see that some some of this violence is stopping, but it's also sad to see that some of it in some places it continues to grow. So it's just so horrible. And uh, to Mr. Dorn, I salute you, sir. I salute you for your years of service in the uh, police department and also for uh, trying to do something that that terrible day uh, where you went down and and tried to to help somebody else uh, and, and you didn't need to you weren't required to you were not on duty you were not on duty it was not your job anymore but i think as any retired law enforcement person you talk to i think uh they would honestly in their heart believe that they're really never off the clock. It always is their job. They, they spent 20, 30 years of their life acting at a moment's notice uh, when people needed help. And once they're retired, it's kind of hard to turn that off. So I happen to know a lot of retired law enforcement personnel, and I know that if something did happen, if something, if they were needed at a moment's notice, they drop what they're doing and they would go help. And unfortunately, that's what happened with Mr. Dorn here uh, in the St. Louis area on June 2nd, 2020, just three months ago, uh, murdered just for helping, trying to restore order as a retired police officer, 77 years old. Mr. Dorn, I salute you. I salute all current law enforcement and retired law enforcement. Uh, you, It's people like you who jump in to help, help people uh, who are in need and are always willing to put your lives on the line. And unfortunately, that night, your life was lost. Um, killed in cold blood uh, for no reason whatsoever and uh, I just want to say I salute you and your service sir if we're at all possible I would absolutely love to sit down and have a beer with you and I would not just be buying the first round but all the rounds so thank you again sir and to those who continue to try to put out fires literally um, on the streets in our in our country in our during in America throughout the various cities you know our prayers are with you we think of you uh, we know that there are moments in a time uh, in this year and in previous years where um, certain situations are not handled perfectly, but I think overall it's the desire and the the need that we have, the desire of them to do right and the need we have of public safety from our police officers, law enforcement, and other people like that, and even retired police officers like Mr. Uh, David Dorn. So just wanted to say a few words about Mr. Dorn. I encourage you to look up information on him if you've not seen so already. Um, some news outlets have talked about him uh, when this event happened, but I encourage you to go learn a little bit about Mr. Dorn, learn a little bit about his police service, his, uh, his family, and also kind of just the, the tragedy that happened that night. You died a hero, sir, and you're one of the many types of people that we want to continue to talk about every single Friday on our Friday segment, Suds with Studs.
Okay, joining us on the program today is Bill McCabe. Bill McCabe is a longtime former football official and basketball official, longtime official, I should say. He doesn't officiate anymore, but he spent a lot of time working in instant replay with the NFL. He's worked Division I college football and as well as Division I college basketball. He actually uh, hired me, brought me along as a replay technician in the Big West when he was the supervisor of officials for the Big West uh, basketball program uh, in officiating. He's in the supervisor of officials for Pac-12 basketball officiating. Uh, the list goes on and on. We'll talk about all of it. Uh, but Bill McCabe is a Mr. Officiating, we'll say, I guess is the best way to say it. A good friend of mine, someone who's always been so kind to me. We worked together at Fox Studios, not this year, but in all the years prior. So again, a lot of things to talk about and looking forward to chatting with him today. Bill McCabe, welcome to the program. Thank you. I I'm, I'm, I'm feel privileged to be here with you. Yeah, you're one of the best. Best umpire my my grandson-in-law says he's ever had as a pitcher when he pitched in college. He said the best umpire I ever had was Matt Hurston. <laughs> oh, that's spectacular! You know, I, I, you know I that appreciate that. Strikes. <laughs> oh man, well I, I think I probably got more compliments from pitchers than I did hitters, Bill. If that makes I don't know why that is. <laughs> I believe you. I'm gonna tell him that. I would can't wait to tell him that. But anyway, yeah, uh, it was funny working with Bill at Fox and uh, seeing Bill as kind of a supervisor in football and everything too. And then all of a sudden I'm working college baseball games and there's Bill McCabe in the stands and I'm thinking, Oh man, is he a baseball guy too? But you were there just supporting your, uh, your granddaughter and uh, her boyfriend, I believe, right. A, a couple times. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> I go, hey, Bill, what's going on, man? So uh, awesome stuff. Uh, thankfully, he wasn't critiquing me too much there uh, on my baseball games. He has critiqued me in football as well uh, with my, my uh, college football fish eating days. But, and those were some fun times as well. So, Bill, we got a lot to cover. We'll try to chop them all up as best we can. Um, Bill, you are a native of Wyoming. You grew up in Casper, Wyoming. I know you're very proud of that heritage. So tell us about growing up in Casper, Wyoming. Grew up in Casper, Wyoming and uh, went to the University of Wyoming and uh, it was, uh, life is good. A great place to grow up, great friends from there and uh, you know, you, you, Wyoming people are special. I always, I always remember I, uh, Al Davis was on the field one time and I tried to stick out my hand to introduce myself. He wouldn't shake my hand. He said, where are you from? I said, I'm from Casper, Wyoming. He said, I have three friends from Casper. I said, really? From Wyoming. He said, uh, Kurt Gowdy. I said, don't know Kurt Gowdy, but I, I mean, I know who he is, but I never met him. He said, Alan Simpson. I said, I've heard of the senator, but I don't know him. Well, he's a good friend of mine. He said, well, the other guy you don't know, Joe Master Giovanni. I said, yeah, I do. He was a quarterback when I was at the University of Wyoming. He said, you know Joe? I said, yeah. I said, well, his father was my best friend. He stuck out his hand and he says, well, now I know four people from Wyoming. And he walked away. <laughs> Al Davis, the, the great uh, Davis, yeah. owner of the Raiders. Wow. Yeah. Down on the field, you know, when we were working down on the field. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. No kidding. Oh, well, well, Bill, I know that, uh, you know, in our times working together at Fox Studios, you were one of the monitors as, as well as I was. And, you know, it always it, somehow Wyoming would always come up anytime the Wyoming Cowboys are on television. We're like, oh, Bill, Wyoming, Wyoming. There's not a whole lot of uh, sports teams in Wyoming, right? Pretty much just a university. Oh, only one four year school. Wow. In the entire state. <laughs> so so as a as a kid growing up in that state i mean was is because that's really all that going on is just everyone a wyoming cowboy fan 
Absolutely. My dad, I lived 150 miles from Laramie. My dad would take my brother and I to every football and basketball game, whether it was snowing or whatever. We'd drive from Casper to Laramie to see the game and drive home after. People drive, and people for football afternoon on Saturday, they drive 400 miles from Jackson, Wyoming, Yellowstone, up that way. They drive all over the state to come in to watch the football. Oh, wow. That is incredible stuff. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Uh, well, Bill, did you play any sports growing up in, in Wyoming and high school or college or anything? Oh, I played basketball and football in, in college. I mean, in high school, but no, I didn't really. I mean, I thought I was better than I was. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of us that, uh, that have to learn that the hard way. <laughs> so uh, no, all of us included. Well, anyway, in uh, right around 1966 or somewhere in there, you started officiating football and basketball how did you get involved in officiating what was your start what was it was it by accident how did it all happen well uh, it was pretty much I my a good friend of mine his brother-in-law was the head coach at Medicine Bow High School in Medicine Bow Wyoming and he needed two officials for a preseason game and he called and I said no nah, I'm not gonna do that he said I don't even have a shirt he said I got shirts for you two guys come on down I'll pay you I thought well pay me you know and that that was big when you're going to school and you have no money. So <laughs> we went down there and uh, they're playing Barrow, Wyoming. I always remember that Barrow coach did tell me, he said, you know what, you are, you're just awful. You are really awful. I said, you don't even know they put air in the ball yet. I always remember him telling me that. I said, no. I said okay. And so afterwards we got, each of us got a check for $43 and two elk steak sandwiches and a half a dozen deviled eggs and a six pack of beer. We're driving back and my buddy Tom says, we got to do more of this. Because we were living on 125 a month at that time. So $43 was huge. Oh, wow. Wow. Just incredible. So, that is awesome. And that, that's I, how know, I got started. Yeah. It's funny hearing stories from officials like that where the money, like right now in these days, wasn't much. I remember working for games for like 10 bucks or something. Oh. But but now, but looking back when we started, we're like, we were so happy that people were giving us money to, to oh, do yeah. something we didn't know anything about. Oh, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Then I, I end up going to the United States Air Force. The Air Force sent me to Great Falls, Montana, and I refereed all over Montana. All those little towns in Montana have been to all of them. I mean, it was really fun. Good people, fun people, love their sports. Turnout, so Friday night was the biggest thing in town in, uh, you know, Fairfield, Montana for the wheat farmers and the ranchers. Really fun place. Yeah. I have one question, Bill, about Montana, Wyoming, uh, that that region of the country, and you know, being a lifelong Californian, I, I, explain to me how do you guys get through those cold that, those cold seasons? How do you do it? You just do. <laughs> and we were we were refereeing this game, and and, and uh, we broke a heater hose, and so we're trying to figure out how to do it. We put a clamp on it. We put a bunch of snow in the radiator, and it was like ten below zero. Now, my partner, Tony Campbell, said, we're not going to get there on time. I said, we're going to be pretty close. We drive up, and it's 7 o'clock, right? The time the principal's standing at the door. He said, where have you guys been? And Tommy Campbell said to him, have you played the Star Spangled Banner yet? And he said, no. He said, then we're not late. You don't need us yet. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. It's a yeah. lot of truth. <laughs> so that was, uh, yeah, we refereed the cold all over the place, man. It was great. Snowstorms, crazy place to referee. Wow, that's incredible stuff. So did you start football and basketball at the same time? 
Oh, no, no. I started basketball long before I started football. Football, I was in Montana, and this guy says, we need an official for a JV game. And I said, a, a junior high game. I have a, not a JV, junior high. Just bring your shorts. I got a flag. And you, all we're going to do is just stand around. You'll pick up a check. And I thought, well, I'll come help you. And he was a great friend of mine. He refereed basketball, too. So I get out there. We're running around, running around, running around. And after it was all over, I told him, I said, this is a lot more fun than basketball. First of all, <laughs> they're not yelling at you all the time. And it's outdoors, and it's fun. I might do a little more of this. He talked me into doing football. So I started football about halfway through my Montana for the time I lived in Montana. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that, that, that is awesome. Yeah, it's funny, Bill, how the sports, uh, th there are similarities in, in officiating, but the, the differences in the sports themselves, you know, I get labeled as a baseball guy all the time just because, yeah. you know, that's what I'm probably best at. And good. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, but with basketball, you know, basketball has the technical foul. Baseball doesn't have anything like that. You know, they just it's worn or eject football. You don't see that too often. It's basically one sideline dealing with just one official instead of the entire crew. So the sports are very interesting and the different dynamics of them. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Very, very fun. So, so Bill, you start, that's how you got your start in football and basketball kind of mm -hmm. working games up in Montana and, and this and that. And then eventually though, you, uh, worked your way into college football, or was it college basketball first? College basketball first, and then the college football. I moved there. From there, I took a job in, in with a company in uh, Denver, Colorado. And so I moved from Montana to Colorado. And at that point in time, I was still refereeing just some high school football, but I was I had refereed some college basketball in Montana. So then, uh, and that's when I got uh, picked up also. Uh, well, referee, I got, I didn't get picked up in the whack until 78 and I was already out here in California. Okay. Yeah. John Adams picked me up and he, John Adams called one day and they'd added Hawaii, San Diego state and, and, uh, and, uh, Las Vegas UNLV. And he called and he said, uh, Bill, do you think guys would drive all the way to San Diego to interview for a job with the whack? I said, guys would drive to New York, John. I don't <laughs> think San Diego is a problem at all from Southern California. <laughs> Uh, but he, I said, but hey, how about me? And I knew him from, I'd referee, actually refereed games with him in Colorado. And he was living in Colorado. He's a supervisor of the WAC. And I said, yeah, how about me? And he said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't need to talk to you. And he hung up. So I thought, oh, that was really good. No chance there. And then the, the, I'm, I'm off on a business trip. And Marilyn says, you get a, you got a letter from the WAC. I said, I don't know what it is. He opened up and says, looks like you got two games. I said, no, a guy would call me and tell me he's going to hire me. He, that's just the way he did it. He just sent out games. So as I get two games in 78, one in El Paso, one at Utah. And that, that's how I got started. Wow. Just sending games, games in the mail, very different back then with their assignments, huh? Exactly. <laughs> no letter, no pickup sheet. Congratulations. We'd like to welcome you. Nothing. Just games in the mail. Interesting. So very, yeah. very cool. Well, well, Bill, I have looking at your, your, our notes here, you know, you did, you worked 31 years of college football, uh, eventually working as a white hat in the WAC, the Western Athletic Conference, is that correct? Correct. Uh -huh. And a little bit in the Mountain West as well. There was some cross. Oh, no, yeah, I all the years in the Mountain West and almost all the ones in the WAC, I was a referee. I, okay. I was a referee and fairly young. I just did. I got an opportunity and did it. Uh huh. 
Very cool. Well, 31 years of uh, football, college of football officiating. You had worked 17 postseason games. You had worked the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, the Gator Bowl. You also spent some time in the Arena League working uh, arena football. Uh, I mean, you're all over the place, Bill. It's crazy stuff where you just started, you, you randomly did a football game up in Montana, and all of a sudden, after yeah. a huge career, you have all these things to be proud of. Isn't that something? That's just the way it went. The arena football is the most fun thing to work in. You know, it, I mean, it, it's a combination of basketball and football. It is so much fun and just entertaining. <laughs> I hate to see that league go down because it was so mm-hmm. much fun. Yeah. Very cool. What What are some – do you have any specific memories from uh, college football officiating or arena football officiating or both? No. Yeah, a million of them, you know. I always remember that Baker always loved to have me tell about the, the time I was working my first arena game, and I, I had never had a number on my back. I, I You know, in college, I didn't have a number. And so I'm, I'm a linesman in that in my first year there, and, and he's and this guy's behind me going, 48, you're awful. You don't even understand football. I thought he was talking about the running back. And so I turned around. Eventually, I turned around and looked at him. And I, and I kind of looked at him, he says, I'm talking about, I'm talking to you. I said, to me? He said, yeah, to you, you're 48. I said, oh, that's right, I am 48. <laughs> Baker's, Baker's out there laughing like crazy. He says, that is the funniest thing I've ever seen. You thought he was talking to the player. I said, yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> but it, was fun. it was fun. It, 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 great camaraderie. And the guy who ran the thing got official, had officials from Maine to San Diego. And he had the best in the business. And so you get to work with some terrific people. Interesting. Now, at the time, was arena football, because it's a professional league, and was it, was it at any time like a, a feeder system for guys to maybe get a look by the NFL guys? Oh, yeah. Because, see, the NFL ran it. I don't care I could tell you this, but probably five, six, seven, eight years, the NFL did ran arena football officiating staff and assigned all the officials. So to get hired, you had to get hired by Pereira. And so, uh, or, and Prayer was an assistant to, even to uh, Seaman at the time. So, and then Pereira, he always said the, the arena officials make the best NFL officials. And at one time there was like 55 or 60% of all officials in the NFL had come through arena football. Wow. Yeah. That, is, that is incredible. And, and there's still, there's still all out there today. I mean, Benovich was with me uh, in the arena. He was on the night crew for three, three years. So was Cavaletto and, and uh, oh, you name all these guys worked arena football. We all worked it together. Yeah. That's crazy. And for those that don't know, arena football is put, it's an eight man, eight man football, right? But it's, uh, yes. Uh-huh. And it's a, a 50 yard field. Exactly. 50, 50 yard length. And yeah. I don't know how wide it is, but it's in a, they're usually played in like hockey arenas or, you know, basketball arenas. I, I went to an arena game one time at the pond, the Honda center now, the oh, yeah. Anaheim Piranhas. That was a pretty cool experience as a kid. Uh, just, just cool. Like you said, everything is fast. Everything. Oh, it's yeah. just so compact and crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and that was fun. That reminds me of this. And, and we were, I was working on at Anaheim and the, it was the second game of the season and this had a new owner and the owner came in and he said, well, you turned me in. And I looked at him and I said, I don't think I did. He said, yeah, you did. He said, uh, I got fined $1,000 because I didn't have three pizzas in the dressing room for you guys. I said, really? <laughs> he said, yeah. So now I'm figuring this out. After the, every game, there's a checklist. And it had pizzas, yes or no, ball boys, yes or no, towels, yes or no. You had this long checklist. If you put no to any of them, they got, uh, got fined. So the guy that was prior to me, Buddy Ward, he had put down no pizzas. And they fined him $1,000. 
that arena, that owner for the uh, Anaheim team, he turned around, he looked at me, and he pointed right at my face. And he said, "There's no three pizzas in the world worth a thousand dollars." Just for your information, he walked out. Hey, we all have responsibilities. We got to take care of the officials, man. When they're when right. they're there, that's hilarious. Uh, well, Bill, do you remember? Uh, vividly do you remember your first college game do you remember your first arena league game do you remember what it was like setting on a field stepping on a field with athletes of of a super high caliber and being a younger official was was it intimidating were you nervous take us uh, through your thoughts at that time overwhelmed the first time i i I was a very it was at utah and and i i I can't it went by so quick all I can ever remember is how, how much faster they were than, than high school players, how much quicker those ends got off the line. But, and, but I, 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 and how I was just, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you're sure fortunate to be here, but you know, I think you better bear down because I don't, I think this game passing you by because it was really a challenge. And the arena football was the arena football is the same thing. I had, you had no idea what we were doing in arena football for the first two, three seasons. I mean, it's hard. It was really, really, second game and this is on my second game i had an assignment at tennessee new mexico played at tennessee so the whack sent the crew so now i'm thinking boy i'm really in trouble now i mean only uh, <laughs> say second game, my second season my second season so it was a pre, uh, preseason game so that we we're going to tennessee i walked into that stadium and that stadium if you've never been there it goes straight up it goes straight up i mean you look at people as far as you can see a hundred thousand people as far as you can see and I'm standing there and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, wow, you're either in trouble, fortunate, or something. I don't know. And there's, I can feel a guy standing next to me. And I looked over and there's a guy and he sticks out his hand. He says, hi, welcome to Tennessee. I'm Johnny Majors. I went, you could have probably knocked me over and killed me at that point. Because I <laughs> until you're in this thing for a while, the pressure and the difference is just overwhelming. Wow, that is incredible stuff. Uh, where are some of the other places, Bill? You worked. We obviously know the the conference, uh, the conference and the teams and everything. But what were some of your favorite places to work in college football? Tennessee had to be one. Uh, I already mentioned the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl. By the way, who did, who did you have in the Rose Bowl? What year was that? What teams? Uh, Nineteen ninety three. Michigan played Washington. Michigan beat Washington thirty eight thirty one. Would you like to? know the score at each of the end of the quarters no i'm just kidding just kidding. <laughs> break it down for us i love it <laughs> no but uh yeah no it was uh, michigan played washington and, and beat uh, washington 90, 90, 30 31 and uh, Pereira should have been on the game in fact this we don't talk about the rose bowl around prayer because he was the best line judge in the whack at the time uh-huh that guy from the whack sent david hedema a former nfl guy player and and prayer is still bitter to this day you see the wax only had the wax only had the rose bowl assignment one time wow in the entire history of college football that's and, unbelievable yeah well uh and and uh, tony Carney was with us yeah very he cool field, he was a field judge yeah it's crazy how many nfl officials really have come out of the west coast but specifically the whack the whack i mean it's a not, it's not a power five conference by any means, but it has produced so many college or NFL officials. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's pretty crazy. Uh, so where's some other places, Bill, uh, that you enjoyed working uh, in college football, uh, the cotton bowl experience or any bowl, other bowl games or just 
maybe some of those preseason uh, games or matchups you talked about, like Tennessee? Well, the, the, the bowl games were uh, really an honor to work. I, honestly, I, it's, uh, you, you feel so privileged. But I, I, went to be, I went to Notre Dame three times, and, I, and then working at Air Force, when you were Army Air Force or Navy Air Force, those are great assignments. Oh, I mean, the pageantry and the fun. But I refereed, uh, uh, I refereed Air Force twice at Notre Dame and, and BYU once, and BYU beat Air Force 17-10, and Holtz was the, I think that was one of those games, Holtz was the, was, was the uh, coach for Notre Dame. And I always remember walking in the dressing room just to say hello and, you know, get captains and that kind of thing. He says, hi, ah, you're Bill McCabe, right? You live in Northridge, California? I said, yes, I do. And he says, you have two children out there. How long do you live there, Bill? He had a folder. And he'd open it up and start reading all your bio. Now that's wow. scary. That's how <laughs> that was, well organized that guy was. That and was Lou Holtz? Lou Holtz did that. Yeah. Wow. And I, I walked out of that dressing room with the umpire. The umpire was Garth D. Police. Remember him? He had a oh, yeah. NFL guy. Garth was the umpire. And I, I, I turned to Garth and I said, Garth, this is getting scarier by the minute, isn't it? He said, it is. <laughs> Those guys do their homework, man. It's pretty oh, yeah. crazy. Oh, no. So what was no good. I've, I've been to Notre Dame, uh, the campus, a few times. I still have yet to go to a game there. I want to go to a game there uh, just with the history and everything. What's it like set it, stepping foot on that field? That is really something. I mean, it just takes your breath away. It, it truly does. I, yeah. it's, uh, you, you, you can't – you just don't even want it to go by quick because it's such a great experience. Yeah. <laughs> you open up your assignments, you're going, oh, my gosh, you're going to, to Notre Dame. I said, can you imagine that? I, I, that's – so I got my basketball assignments one time, and, and I had North Carolina. They were coming out here on their way to Hawaii. And so I'm thinking, oh, that is a great assignment. And before the game, I went over to Dean Smith, and I said, I got to tell you, this is the best assignment on my schedule this year because I got a chance to work for you. And this is quite an honor. And he said to me, well, I hope I live up to your dignity. My, I hope I live up to your expectations, Bill. Great Dean Smith. What a line. Well, Bill, what a great line, huh? I mean, great line. I what are some experience. other, what are some other memories and stories you have for, from some famous coaches like that, that maybe listeners would find interesting? I mean, a lot of people know who Lou Holtz is. Most people know who Dean Smith is. I mean, yeah. having a little bit of insight like that, I'm sure listeners uh, would enjoy more of, and, and maybe they're negative stories. Maybe it's a coach uh, getting after you a little bit. Could be anything. I'll leave it up to you. Well, I don't know. There, there really are so many, but I always remember I, a lot of things that come to mind. You know, with, um, uh, Lavelle Edwards at BYU, quite a guy, really, really, really an honorable guy, and mm -hmm. a, a lot of fun. He said that he, he sent a guy to me. He said the, the coach wants to talk to you before the game in his office. And I thought, okay, and now we're dressed, and so this guy takes me in his jitney to this fieldhouse office, and I go in, and I'm the only one in there. And, I, he, and, and he says, he says, sit down. Now I'm really wondering what's going on. He says, I got to tell you, you don't let him hurt Ty Detmer. He's my franchise. If he goes down, we're done. All right. So I guess got to ask you today to be sure you protect him and you don't let him get hurt. Oh, I'll do that. You know, I mean, I don't know what was going to go on. You never know what yeah. somebody's going to say to you. Right. So, but it was, uh, it was fun. And, and I, you know, I, there's, I used to work for Herrick, and Herrick would always say to me, uh, Jim Herrick as I'd go by, I said, you're a lot better football official than you are a basketball official. <laughs> I 
<laughs> what do you know about football, Jim? Jim Harris. Yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. <laughs> Asbury, Asbury said, don't listen to him. And Asbury says, you know, after I, uh, I could actually officiate, he said, because I've helped officials all my coaching career, so I know I can be a good basketball official. <laughs> yeah, Asbury was great. He was tell you. Most coaches yeah. sit there on the sideline and they officiate uh, an entire game from their chair, just like uh, the officials running up and down. So, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I could see yeah. where they're oh, never Pete, wrong. Pete Cassidy, Pete Cassidy was at Northridge, you know, for all forever. He, and he's crazy as a limb. And I, he lived up not too far from me and I'd seen him at the golf course. But then one day he walked in the barbershop and he just played three games at Utah, Utah State and Weber State. And he got beat all three and he got beat by Utah by 30. And I said, uh, hey, how's the trip? He says, very good, very good. I said, how's the officiating? He said, I'm going to tell you something. Without a word of a lie, I'd have won all three if it hadn't been for the officiating. <laughs> of course, of course. So he tells me he'd have won all three if it hadn't been for the officiating. It is hilarious to me, Bill, with coaches. And uh, everyone thinks officials are out to get them or yeah. – you know, first of all, you've officiated at very high levels. I mean, I try to tell my friends, like, officials don't show up with any kind of agenda or any kind. We, we, we try not to even know much about the teams. You got to know a few things, but you, you, we want to stay out of it. And so I'm fine with someone telling me I missed a call or something. But when you start telling me about, well, you just you care about the home team more or you, you know, whatever the case is, all the, the media is the worst at it, too. And, and it's just crazy that people have this perception of officials, but we're not that way. We don't do that. No. It's no. completely wrong. Oh, no. 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 Uh, you know, it always reminds me of Jim Critton, a great umpire out of Lehigh, Utah. And he, we got this John L. Smith, the guy used to be at Michigan, and he was at Utah State at the time, and he's after us and after us and after us. So finally, Critton from the center of the field hollers and he said, John L., he said, I want to tell you something. He said, I was here before you came, and I'll be here after you're gone. Turn <laughs> the ball. You know, oh, they, man. Yeah, some of them, after a while, they get to you, but some guys have such great sense of humor. I, the Fisher DeBerry was funny at the Air Force. He was absolutely hysterical. He'd get after Mike McCabe, my son, you know, he'd say, Mike, your daddy wouldn't have made that call. Your daddy wouldn't have made that call. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, yeah, Bill, your son, Mike McCabe, is a, a referee in the Pac-12 conference, I believe, yes. uh, a couple of years now and been in the conference for a long time. Yeah, yeah he's been in about 12 years, I think, in the Pac. But he started refereeing in the big sky when he was 28 years old, so that's about uh, 25 years ago. So he's been refereeing forever. He refereed arena for a dozen years. It seems like there's been a lot of new faces in eh, the Pac-12 and some of the college football, but it's all, it's all kind of transition. There's new, there's new people moving around. It's usually people who have position changes. You know, everyone sees the referee on television, the guy with the white hat and everything. But yeah. uh, so yeah. I, I think Mike's done a pretty good job the past few years. And, uh, yeah. you know, does he ever – do you ever tag along with him and, you know, go to some of his games still? Once in a while, I don't, I've, I've been to two games in two years. He says, why don't you come with me? So I've gone to two different games. Uh, but I, I, you know, one thing I've never done is ever tried to speak out for him or anything. I, I said, you got to make it on your own. And when you get out there, you got to officiate on your own. No one's going to do it for you. But what I do the like the very first time he, he uh, I said, I'm going to make some notes. And I made three pages of notes and I gave them to him. He said, we didn't make this many mistakes. 
I said, well, pick and choose the ones you like. The ones you don't like, forget about it. I don't care. He came back. He says, I found one that you're wrong on because the Pac-12 doesn't want that done that way. I said, okay, it's good out of three pages. You found one that wasn't right. You know, It was like, <laughs> it was like that Rivera, Rivera, Rivera sent me. He said, I want you to train some referees. He said, I need to have you train um, uh, Scott Novak. is the guy out of Denver. And uh, he says, they're going to be at Wyoming. And I just want you to just concentrate on him and none of the other officials on the field. So I'm up in the press box, and I'm sitting next, and I have a piece of paper. And so I figure, all right, six or seven notes. All of a sudden, in the first quarter, I filled the page. So I turned to this, this media guy. I said, can I have another piece of paper? He says, yeah. So he gives me one. So I fill a second page. I said, can I have another piece of paper? He says, you're starting to bother me because I don't know what you're doing and why you need it. So I tell him, oh, okay, that's fine. So then the third quarter, I said, he says, no, you can't write anymore. You've written too much about those guys. You can't do it. So I get back, and Rivera says, how is my man Novak? I said, he's pretty Good. He said, I've got about three pages of notes here, and I was going to just take the top six or seven and send them off to you. Now I want to see them all. So we go, okay, put them in the fax machine. And he goes, he looks and he starts down to do about the seventh item. He says, this whole thing's giving me a headache, and he hung up on me. I mean, we were doing things like blowing off the red hat, you know, right? Mm -hmm. and, yep. and the guy wanted to get a timeout. He came out of the field. Novak just said, go for it. So. <laughs> I mean, those are easy things. It's, it, it's, they do stuff out there. I, you and I, you, you, you've done, I've done your games for football. Mm -hmm. Things just happen, don't they? Yeah, it's a natural, it's a natural uh, evolution, really, of a, of a football yeah. game, of officiate. A lot of the things we, as officials in football, get told or, uh, you know, uh, picked apart for are things that people don't even notice. Regular fan, everyone can see a pass interference call or, or non-call, but they don't see the things that observers uh, see. I mean, it's a, the mistakes that officials make, especially in football, it's, to me, it's like people don't realize how much goes into officiating a play by seven or eight guys in some cases. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there are mistakes that are made, but there's also mistakes made that people don't see that are not as common. It just happened as a natural part of the game. And we try to, we try to do a good job and move on. So um, well, well, anyway, Bill, kind of, kind of wrapping up your officiating, uh, your, your foot, you're doing football officiating and basketball officiating at the college level, Pac-12 or excuse me, WAC and the Mountain West in football. And then you're working some Pac-12 basketball as well as the other conferences. How did you manage, how did you manage to do both at the same time? Uh, I don't know how long you did it for the, at the same time, but how does one do that at that high level? We're not talking high school games here. I mean, these are division one college football and basketball teams. Fortunately, I worked for a company where my boss was in New York. So I can, you know, work hard, but not when I, only when I needed to kind of thing. In other words, I get the time off when I need it. But, but the officials are different now. You know, you take like, uh, like Tony Current and not, I mean, uh, Tony Padilla. And I think Tony Padilla was on one of your podcasts, right? Yes, he was. Yes. Yeah. He, I mean, he works 75 to 90 basketball games a season. Cyphers will work 75, and uh, Cyphers is really a good official. And I worked 35 Division One games, so I didn't work the schedule like those guys. And back then, you didn't work as many games as these guys do today. So 35, you know, you four months, 35, we're talking about eight games a month. I could get eight in, you know, especially if. Uh, you have UCLA, USC, and the Arizona schools, and that kind of thing. Cal, Stanford. You, you, you know, you could just you could get back and be working and do that kind of thing. And the other thing, the basketball, it didn't overlap 
the football like it does today either. You know okay. what I mean? Basketball was started a little later. It never started until the first week of December. Well, the first week of December, football was over. You know what I mean? Pretty much, except for bowl game. And so it, it was, it was, you could do it, you could manage it, but it's totally different today. You couldn't, you couldn't, it can't work two sports. Vinovich has a terrible time doing it. And he yeah. does too. Bill Vinovich. Yeah, Gene Steratore was doing it until he kind of came off the field and the court. Now he's, he's a CBS broadcaster. But, yeah, Bill Vinovich out here on the West Coast. I, I've seen him – I mean, I've seen him work the Super Bowl on Sunday and a basketball game in the Big West on Thursday or Wednesday. I'm like, what in the world, man? It's crazy. It take, it's a special person to be able to do both. Yeah, it really does. Now, in, in his case, the, the, um, the NFL is very demanding. I'm going to tell you, I'm working for, that's a hard outfit to work for, by the way. <laughs> they, they didn't build their multi-billion dollar product by being nice people. <laughs> so they, they expect, exact, expect uh, the, the most detailed kind of attitude and, a, and approach to the game. And so they get a lot out of their referees. So that even makes it harder for him in basketball. Well, well, talk to me about the NFL a little bit, Bill. It was uh, after your officiating career in college football where you kind of transitioned into uh, a replay official, really, working for the NFL. Now, did you go straight from college into the replay booth uh, in the NFL, or did you first work – was there any college football replay at the time, or no, just straight to the NFL? I don't think there was any. No, it wasn't any. That was at all. It kind of was – uh, that came from the NFL having No, I went right from college to there. And then after Pereira let me go, after they replaced us all with retired NFL guys, Blackwood called up and he said, hey, would you referee for me for two years? I said, sure. And he, I actually ended up working four more years as a referee in the WAC. Oh, really? So you can't, kind of came back after, after. after. I came back and worked as a referee. Yeah. And Interesting. So, oh, yeah. so, so, Bill, there's a lot of, uh, of cr- most fans are critics with officials. Uh, and yeah. fans, every fan who sees a replay, in, in we're talking football right now, any fan who sees a replay, they think uh, they see it clearly. They think they know what they're looking for. Uh, they're wearing a team jersey, and they've probably had a few drinks on their couch, and so they think they, think they see it clearly. So, so take me through what it's like being a replay official in the NFL. You did it for, uh, what, five years? Is that correct? Five years. Five years. So t- take me through what it was like. I mean, is it sitting around waiting for something bad to happen? Is it looking at every play? Is it, is it pressure? Just take us inside the replay booth, if you will. Pressure, pressure like you can't live because you are looking at every single play, you know, and, and, and you uh, – because it could be challenged. And, of course, in the close of the game, it's on you. So it, you, you're, you're just – it's intent. And when, you, when the game's over, it's like – the air just goes out of you. It's, there was so much pressure. And, and one time, Mantooth and I were in Denver, and it was the opening game in that new stadium. And they're playing Miami. And Mantooth's just finishing off a hot dog, and, and, they, we, and they buzz. Mantooth says, what's that? I said, I think the visiting team is challenging the play. They'd had a short free kick. They thought the ball had been touched before it went 10 yards. Mm-hmm. And so they challenged the play. And uh, he said, well, who's challenged? I said, the visitors. He said, well, who are the challenge? Who are the visitors? I said, well, since we're sitting in Denver, I think it's Miami. He says, okay. So that from the word go, if you aren't paying attention, yep. you, it can get you. I mean, it's just so easy to, if you aren't paying attention. Wow. And I mean, I, and so, I, I, I can tell you an interesting story with old uh, Ed Hockley. So it, we had a play where the ball went out of bounds at the four yard line, or was ruled out of bounds at four yard lines by, by Laird Hayes. And then the kid got hit and he's fumbled and the ball hit the pylon. 
And so they, it was at the end of the game. So we shut it down. And Ed comes over and he says, what do you got? And I show it to him. He says, oh, that's good. It hit the pylon. We're going to have a touchback. And I said, no, you, I want you to look at it really close. The ball was fumbled forward, hit the sideline, and bounced up and hit the pylon. Now it hits the sideline. That's a fumble forward out of bounds. We're going back to the spot of the fumble. Mm-hmm. Now the offense gets to keep the ball. So, I mean, you really had to be. And so he said, well, I want to see where he stepped out of bounds. And I, he didn't step out of bounds. He was a foot inbounds. And he said, well, what's Laird watching? I said, that's something you've got to talk about after this game. I said, okay. <laughs> so now I get a call on Monday morning, and it's Jerry Seaman. He goes, uh, Bill, Jerry Seaman here. And I went, oh, man. He said, well, what kind of comment is, oh, man? I said, you've never called me in four years to tell me I did a good job. So I figured we did something wrong. He, said, yeah. <laughs> he says, what were you thinking about on that play with Hockley? And I'm thinking we did it right. And afterwards in the wrestling room, Hockley says, man, way to nail it, because I could have given it to the defense, and that would have been disastrous if we had done that, because he didn't get the foul. Hit the sideline first and get the foul. Oh, yeah. So I said, you yeah, know, okay. Um, he said, uh, when Laird blows the whistle, the play's over. You don't care. You want to review anything. I said, yeah, that's right. I mean, you know how it is. Whistle's blown. Players all stop. Mm-hmm. Why we were looking at a fumble forward out of bounds when Laird hit, even though he wasn't out of bounds, He's ruled out of bounds. That stops the play. And oh. so I'm dumb enough. I just tell Jerry Seaman, I said, yeah, that's just like an inadvertent whistle. He goes, uh, no, Bill, we don't have inadvertent whistles in the NFL. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is uh, yeah. that's great stuff. So, so Bill, when, when NFL kind of started the replay, did we have the official go under the hood? And then did he have a headset on? And he's talking directly with you during this replay yeah. exchange, right, typically? That's correct. Okay. So is and then he if asking really you? Good, we'd have the play ready to go, right? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. So is he asking you for input or kind of what you see or just kind of asking you for the best look? I always thought that was amazing. In the first year, Jerry Seaman said, you will not guide the referee. You will not tell him anything. You're in the picture business. You show him the picture and you let him make this. If you are not a part of refereeing this game on the field. I said, okay, that's fine which I thought was really short-sighted. I mean, if we, we can see some, I say, hey, I want you, just like the ball hits the, hits the sideline and bounces up and hits the pylon, you can tell him that. And then oh, yeah. he looks at it and he says, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So in the second year, he says, okay, um, now we don't want him to make a mistake, so be sure you tell him if you think he's not going down the right trail. In the third year, Jerry Seaman says, now what I want you to do, you're going to be in charge in the replay booth. You don't let that referee say anything to you. Tell him everything you've seen and everything you think had happened. <laughs> we go from being in the picture business to being in charge. Now that's how that works. Yeah. That's hilarious. So, so any, any, I say, controversial moments in the replay booth, uh, either an accident, a mistake, or just a crazy situation where, you guys had to piece everything together or did you have any, you know, I don't know, NFL executives trying to break your door down or anything, anything crazy? Well, we did, that did happen. The Mantooth and I were in Indianapolis and Napoleon thought we should have stopped playing. He's beating on the door and he wants in. And he says, I, you, you let me in. And Mantooth said, should we let him in? I said, we're not going to let him in. Prayer says nobody gets in this booth except during and after the game and the halftime and after the game. No, 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 no. And he goes after prayer and prayer says, Calling me on Monday, he said, Hold him trying to get in your booth, huh? I said, Yeah, you didn't let him in. I said, No, you said we couldn't. He said, That's right. So, <laughs> but I'm gonna tell you something. I, I, I made a couple of really crazy errors in the replay booth. I mean, which I, I couldn't even share with anybody because it'd be too embarrassing. And if you, and I, oh, I'm kind of wondering some days whether White Prairie even keeps me because he's still mad about a couple of them because he thinks I should have gotten them. 
but they're hard and it went so quick. You know what I mean? So we don't talk, I don't talk to Mike. I don't bring those kind of things up in front of Mike. And I don't want anybody else to either because you can, you do make mistakes in that replay. What, what I, what I have a trouble with instant replay is that we, we're using it as a crutch now. I think fans have such a high standard and it's like, to me, no matter the sport, when instant replay started, it was to fix the egregious mistakes, That's not, right. not these tiny little inches and all these tiny, you know, if the 50, 50 plays are exactly that they're 50, 50 plays. We're no. trying, we're trying to be 51% now. And it's like, Nah, it should just be for the black and white plays, the egregious misses, which occasionally happen. I mean, are, what are your thoughts, Bill, on replay? No, I, I, I think you're right on. I, it, we've gone through a couple of phases. One, we've got, after we've been in there a couple of years, the officials were starting to let the replay fix everything. Remember, we, always, we were, they, the officials weren't doing anything. They just let replay fix it. And now they don't, they just done that way. But it, it, it's, it's come full cycle, but it's, it's kind of sad. I mean, it, it really should be to fix the big time play. And uh, you just, you hate to see all of the holdup in the game, and especially when it's not necessary. And uh, I mean, you get a couple of college guys and they think they want to look college replay guys and they think they want to look at every play. And that, boy, does that get long. That's really long. I know, I know when NFL replay first started, they didn't have the red challenge flag. It, they had like a, the coaches had a buzzer, right? Where they, did they buzz? The replay booth, or did they buzz the referees? I'm trying to remember how it went. Buzz the referee, but it also buzzed in the replay booth. Okay. It buzzed both places, yeah. <laughs> and then and then you'd have guys in the replay booth say, well, we didn't get a buzz. Yeah, really, and they couldn't tell. So now they started recording the buzzer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know there were some issues. That, that game in Cleveland, I remember, where uh, the referee, there was a play that happened, but it shouldn't have happened because the referees were buzzed. They had to announce to the fans, uh, hey, we uh, – you remember that? And the crew had to come. They threw bottles on the field and everything. And uh, I don't know if that was the main reason why they used the whole red flag now. Uh, but at the time, you thought it was the technology side of things was the better option. But actually, probably the red flag is a better deal. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, that was with Terry McCauley. Remember that? Yes, yes. That? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, Cleveland went nuts. <laughs> As they often do. They don't have much to cheer about over there uh, <laughs> for many, many years. Well, well, Bill, um, plenty of years in the NFL there with some, I'm sure. Uh, any, any memorable stadiums, anything that is kind of maybe a favorite place to go? You don't have to tell us the least favorite place oh, to go. I, but... I mean, if, you, if a football fan ever wanted to get... Oh, yeah. If a football fan ever really wanted to go to a terrific stadium, Green Bay is just is phenomenal. I mm -hmm. mean, it has so much character and so it's in its wonderful people. You know, I mean, just people that you—they've had the season tickets for 50, 60 years, whatever, and it's just a—it is—it—it's it, a real—it's a real treat. And uh, then the Raider one was on the other end. <laughs> well, they got a pretty nice one. They're—they're going to be opening on on Monday oh, yeah. night football, so yeah. that'll be that'll be crazy. But yeah, I—I I don't. Okay, I hear what you're saying there. Yeah, the Oakland Alameda Coliseum. Yeah, probably. Not a great place. Oh, man. Well, well, Bill, let's talk a little basketball. You worked college basketball as an official. I'm sure you have plenty of stories there. But you also, uh, when you came off the court, you also uh, provided service to the, co the conferences, the Pac-12 and everything. Uh, you were actually the Pac-12 
um, excuse me, uh, a coordinator of officials from 2005 to 2011. So how did kind of that all happen? What was the process there to kind of be in charge of Pac-12 basketball officials? Well, I always wanted to be in charge of football. That's the job I wanted. And that was Bill Sorgan had that job. And so I was, when I, I, I told Booker Turner in 2005, I said, I am not going to officiate basketball anymore. He said, oh, I know you're tired. Just write me a letter in a couple weeks. You'll change your mind. Two weeks, I wrote a letter, and I said, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. I want to referee college basketball anymore. And so he said, okay, will you be an observer? I said, sure. So I was an observer. That's where I was an observer for 10 years in the pack then, from 2000, uh, from 1995 to 2005. And so you had to go to UCLA and USC for home games, and you got paid $100, a uh, parking pass, two tickets, a participant pass and all the hot dogs and diet coke you could eat you know that was the part of the package so i did that and then i, I was in my in my ninth year and I, I was he'd assigned me an observing job down at staples and so i was in the tunnel and i saw that tom hansen the commissioner and i really didn't know him but i introduced myself he said, oh, i know your name yeah and i said i always wanted to talk to you about the football supervising job if it ever came up and he said, well, why don't you come up to my booth, up in my box, and sit down and talk to me. Well, I said, I have to do the next game. So I went up and talked to him. Whole time. That was great. Next year, he called me right before the game, before the, the tournament, and he said, would you come sit in my box for a game? I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So I get up there, and I got a box of popcorn in one hand, and a Diet Coke in the other, and I'm starting to sit down. He said, how'd you like to be the supervisor? I said, where's the football guy going? He said, no, basketball. I said, uh-uh. No, no, no. Basketball is impossible. You can't please anybody. No, that's not my job. <laughs> and I turned it down. And, 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 and he was taken back, I think. And so on Monday, he called me and he said, have you thought about my offer? And I said, what I've really thought about is how rude I was when I said no. And I really was. I felt bad because I was not very polite about it, you know. And I said, but uh, he, he said, well, what do we do with this? I'll consider you for football if you'll take the basketball job now. Okay, wow. so I took the basketball job. And that's how I got the basketball job. And then we were always the worst, the worst officiating staff in the country. Anytime you talk to Physiac or anybody else, you know, all of the, the you know, Kellogg and all of them, that's the worst. Officiating. I said, you know, I'm tired of this. It, it isn't the worst. We had, in my second year, I pared it down. I got rid of a whole bunch of people, all right? I've got, I, I knew all the officials because I've been observing them and all that kind of thing. So I, I, heard, I got the staff the way I wanted. The second year, the NCAA took 23 of the 98 officials for the NCAA tournament came out of the package. 10, wow. 23, a quarter of them came out of the one conference. There's a lot of conferences in this country. In fact, there's 31 or 32. So that was good. So then I said, you know, somebody got to tell these, these announcers that. So I built me a 19 page presentation, had all the rankings of the officials and grades and all this stuff. And every time I'd see one of those guys at breakfast before I could meet him in Oregon at the hotel or I see him in the hotel, I said, can I sit down at breakfast? Oh yeah, let me show you something. I pull out my 19 page presentation. They were just overwhelmed that we had that kind of training because Ed Rush, I don't know if you ever had him on your podcast, but he is. <laughs> no, no, not yet. Ed T. Rush. No, not yet. <laughs> you should have Ed Rush. Ed Rush is a phenomenal teacher and a great, great person to talk to. And he'd talk to you in a minute. <clears throat> and he, uh, he did the training. And I shared all that with him. And so in the third and fourth years, these guys like Physioc and all of us say, well, you know, the best, best trained staff and probably the best officiating staff in America is the Pac-12. You know, they, they, they did a 180. Part of it was just telling them that it wasn't all bad. <laughs> so, yeah, speaking you know, up for so ourselves. That's how, that's how I did it. And I did it for six years. And six is about enough for that job. That's, you know, they're hard jobs. I mean, those coaches, they all think you're the, the I'm the problem. I mean, if they have a mistake, right? You know, <laughs> 
<laughs> it's always, it is their players and it is their AD that they go beat on. They go beat on the, the supervisor. So. Would, so would your, would your, yeah. would your phone just ring off the hook from these Pac-12 coaches? After the first year, it, it did a little bit, but uh, after after a while, because I made a point of every game I went to, I went in before the game, and I said, hey, I just want you to know I'm here. Uh, I'm in, here to check on the officials. I'm still looking for three good ones, and I haven't found them yet. I tell them that all the time, and they go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, but, and they got used to seeing me all the time, and I said, you got anything you want to share? Me? No, you're doing fine, doing a great job. Just before the game, everything's fine. So then, after that, you know, it just kind of quieted down. And I had some real good allies. Ben Howland, oh, he'd, he'd come to my rescue all the time in a meeting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the guy that was probably the worst to handle was Kevin O'Neill. Remember, he was at USC. USC, yeah. And then he was also at Arizona for a little while. And he was just, he was really tough. And I said, would you come to our training session? Oh, yeah, I'll come, I'll come. You're not going to come. He said, no, I'll come. So he says, well, I said, here it is. And Tate calls me. He says, well, I'm coming back from a recruiting trip in Europe. I'm going to land San Francisco. I said, fine, I'll have a car there waiting for you. Get you a driver. Get over to the training session. Well, I'm only staying for Friday afternoon. I said, no problem. He listened to Rush for four hours on a Friday afternoon. He came up to me. He said, do you have a hotel room for the next three nights for me? I said, I do. He stayed three nights. From that point on, I had a, my bigger ally than Ben Allen was, you know, and he loved the officials and the officials loved him because they spent that time and he saw how hard they were and how much work were they put in, and how good Ed Rush was at training. And it, 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 all he used to say in the meetings is, I got a secret you guys will never know. You will never go to the training session, and you are losing out. <laughs> it's so cool he was to- a good guy. There were some good people in that group. Yeah. It's cool to hear that from coaches because uh, you said something not too long ago that, like, you can't, you can't please everybody. You can't please anybody, let alone everybody. But uh, it's just a, an impossible job almost. And – Bill, Bill, if you could sum up something, you, you're in charge of a job, a group of people that are doing a job that is impossible to be perfect at, but people expect you to be perfect at. So what, how, do you keep, how do you keep your officials uh, at that time? How did you keep them, I don't know, motivated, hungry to learn and, and be better when you know you're not going to please anybody? Was it just kind of having that high standard that you were shooting for and, and also trying to, you know, do your best to keep guys not from losing their minds, getting too discouraged? Well, I think I was fortunate to have Ed Rush. Ed Rush is a training, just, you know, uh, I mean, he, he'd take and he'd, he'd take 10 plays. Okay, we're going to go over 10 plays here. This is going to be called possession consequence. If you have, if the inside position is maintained by the, the postman, and he gets bumped in the back, but he gets the rebound, and off it goes. That's not a foul. You understand that? Now he gets bumped real hard, and the ball goes in the stands. Call the foul. If he, uh, you, you know, but or if he just loses the ball, call the foul. And then he'd show the ten, and five of them would be the same. They all be the same play. Five would be called one way, five the other. Now this started. To, a couple guys would take exception because they were the one wrong call, and tell, he said. Now, we're, we all agree we're not going to call that. We don't need all the postmen fouling out of the game on a foul. Now, if he loses the ball or you hurt the guy, maybe that's okay. So he, he, he'd go through all of these play situations in the training, and he had videos to support everything. Those guys look so forward to being better and going to the training session, and they were excited because they thought, you know, we're getting training no one else in the world's getting. And yeah. it was a yeah. it really helped my whole thing. I couldn't have done it. I mean, I didn't have the credibility nor the background that Ed Rush has. And 
nor the ability to train like he did. And I told Tom Hansen, I said, I've been out of this thing for 10 years, Tom. I've been eating hot dogs and diet cokes for 10 years as a super, as an observer. I said, you know, I, I had to, I got to go out and hire somebody who can train. He said, you got as much money as you need. You hire anybody you need. So I asked around and a couple of people said, you ought to get Ed Rush. I never knew Ed Rush. I called him up on the phone. I said, here's what I want to do. And I said, he said, well, how, how much was it going to take? I said, we'll work a little during the year, but primarily the four or five days of training in the summer. And I said, uh, how about if we, I don't know what the amount is, but five grand, is that fair? Said, that's fair. So I hired Ed Rush, and that's the way the thing all took off. And that the officials were so proud of being in the Pac-12, and it was all rooted with Ed, with Ed Rush. Yeah, and Ed Rush had a ton of experience, as you mentioned, you know, being in the NBA, sort of having a great career there. Uh, at, at one time, became the F- NBA uh, director of NBA officiating. I mean, just a, a ton of experience and the training, like you mentioned. And I found it interesting that you mentioned that, you know, Ke- Coach Kevin O'Neill came to the clinic to, you know, kind of he was just kind of brushing it off, but then totally transformed his mindset. And that's where I think fans and coaches, if you just were educated a little bit more, just a little, not a lot, just a little, I think it would change perspectives. I really do. Sure. No, you're, I think you're right on. You're right on. Have you ever had Ed Rush on, though? No, no, I haven't. I've never spoken to Mr. Ed Rush. I would, I would love to have a conversation with him. That'd be a lot of fun. I, 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 we, you, I can take care of that with you. We'll get him on here for you. Awesome, awesome. You yeah. would. You will. It will. You, he's, you'd, you'd be just terrific to have on. Oh, man, I appreciate that, Bill. Well, as a, as a coordinator, uh, you're assigning officials games. You're responsible for training and, 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 of course, dealing with coaches and phone calls. And, uh, you know, all coaches think officials are out to get them and, and this and that. You did it for six years in the Pac-12. You took some time off, and then you did – you got the Big West officiating job, and you did that for a, a five years. So – what was there a difference in working those two conferences as far as the coordinator? Because a lot of the, the a lot of it is the same officials, isn't it? Oh yeah, it was the same officials, and they overlap, so that helped me too. Well, not completely, not directly, but the last couple of years of the pack, the first couple of years in the Big West, and I did it for a few more years after that. Yeah, it, yeah, it it, it was uh, using the same officials, and and um, it, it, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think. The officials in the Big West were so pleased to have access to some of these better officials. I yeah. mean, it was, uh, it, you know, I had a real house cleaning my first year in the Big West. And I, heard, I, I guess some people I still have to look over my shoulder. They might want to get me. But uh, <laughs> there were a lot of officials that didn't belong at the Division One level. And uh, the coaches didn't know how to fix the problem. And neither did the commissioner. So when we cleaned it up, and then all of a sudden they started getting, I remember all, um, um, Bob Williams up at Santa Barbara. I was going, I can't, I went in the dressing room. I said, hey, I'm just here just five minutes before the game. Just let you know I'm here. I'm here still trying to find three good ones. And he says, I cannot believe I have three NCAA officials on my one. I used to get one once in a while. I've got three on the same game tonight. I've got Padilla <laughs> and Cybers and Vinovich. And he said, I don't have to watch the officiating. I just have to coach tonight because these guys know what they're doing. It, 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 it reinstilled some, some support on the part of all those people. Sure. So now, that in the Midwest coaches were terrific. Now, now for Braswell, Braswell one time, I was at a game with him up north of He says, <clears throat> and it was a really bad call at the end of the first half. And I went the other direction because I didn't want to talk to him. I knew he wouldn't get me. And so he went the other direction. And he stopped me and said, what about that call? And I said, I'm going to tell you something. 
Neither, if you and I were officiating this game, we would not have made that call. He looked at me and said, you're right. He turned around and walked away. <laughs> what do you say? That's we great. Have made that Bobby Braswell, <laughs> Cal State Northridge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's great. He's a terrific guy. Terrific guy. You know, yeah, and and you know, honestly, Bill, there's a lot of great guys that are pretty that are that are great oh, yeah. guys up until <laughs> the ball goes up in the air. Then it's a different story. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. It's crazy. Like, like he said, he said he'd won all three in Utah if it hadn't been for the officiating. Yeah. He lost by thirty. He's thirty. Yeah, referees. Uh, yeah, are responsible for thirty points. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Well, well, Bill, you, as doing the Big West as the coordinator there, is it a challenge? We, we all know money talks, but is it, a, is it a challenge to have guys who work primarily in the Pac-12 to have them then go to uh, work at an Irvine or a Fullerton or a Long Beach to go work Big West? Um, I could say the same for other conferences as well. Because, uh, yeah, the Pac-12 schools are a bigger deal, I think, than other schools. I mean, is it all the same to the officials deep down, or is it kind of, hey, I only got a couple Pac-12 assignments this year and I got – a bunch of big West games. Is there, is there a, do you guys keep track? You know what I mean? Well, <clears throat> I, you know, I think you make a great point. I, what happens here is they have open dates. So they want to fill those. I mean, you know, you get a pack. You, you, if you've got a really good pack uh, 12 schedule, you might have 40 games and yet you still want to work 65. So you got 25 other dates you'd like to work. So that's part of it. But as you know, even in umpiring, you, you want to, you really enjoy working a game if you're with your, if your partners are good and you think you got a chance to get it right. And yeah. that was the, biggest, that was the biggest attraction in the big West is they were getting to work with people. They weren't just working with a couple of guys that had no idea what they're doing. That was embarrassing. I might have to work harder tonight. They were working with good partners. And if you go out with good partners, you feel like you got a chance to get it right. Mm-hmm. And so that was one thing. Now the second thing that I did, and with I did this in my third year in the Pac-10, I guess it would be yeah, be ten at that point. And I said to Tom Hansen, I got an idea. I want to. I don't like this business of game fee. We're calculating mileage and we're calculating airfares and putting hotels and how many per diems does this guy get? I want out of that business. I want to have a fixed fee for everything. And uh, and then what I want to do is I want to I want to rank them one to fifty one. In the top third, I want to pay this much. Next third, I'll pay less amount, and I want a lot lower for the bottom third. And so uh, he said, well, how much money is it going to cost me? I said, I think if I redesign all of the pot the right way I want to, you're not going to have to give me any money. So I'll tell you what, I'll give you $50 in the assignment more. Said, Whoa, okay. So he gave me a little money. <laughs> so then I, I had a rating system and a ranking system so that the top guys got paid more. Well, then I took that to the Big West. And I said, let's pay them on a fixed fee and let's have a tiered system, a three-tiered system. That moved the Big West fees up significantly from what was, they were being paid 725 a game when I took it over. I had the top tier at 2,500 <laughs> to give you a you for know, it. Now, those are guys that worked the tournament. They were the guys like Tony Padilla and those. Those guys will also, they'll work for $2,500, right? Yeah. Especially if they're at UCLA on a, you know, on a Thursday and could be on Saturday, it could be at uh, UCSB or something like that. You know what I mean? If they don't even have to leave town. So part of it was, it was a combination of working with good partners and also the pay actually paid for performance. 
I got it from Lisa. Lisa Lowe was a really wonderful athletic director there. She and she said, "I want to talk to you one on one sometime." I told Tom Hansen, "I don't think I want to do that." He said, "No, she's really a nice lady." He made me fly over there. I sat down. I got my 19-page presentation, and she said, "You know, you're doing a really nice job, and this is a really nice presentation, but you're missing one thing. You, you, you're, you're, uh, you're paying everybody the same amount of money." I said, "Correct." I said, "I expect the same out of the number one rated guy, Cartmel." as I do the number 51 rated guy, whoever. She said, that's, that's not the right answer, Bill. I said, okay, I got to think about that. And that's how I got the idea of a tiered system. Yeah. So, and, and it really helped me because it would, then I could put those officials in that conference. Mm-hmm. The West. Oh, and, and you get guys, you know, who want to get into that second tier, then the second tier guys, they oh, yeah. want to get into that top. Yeah. It, it motivates guys. Money motivates all of us, I think, with what we're doing. So uh, definitely. But the guys that say to me, you say, I'm a tier two guy. I want to be a tier one guy. How can I get to tier one? I said, you got to be a better official. Better, yeah, they... better move up your game a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's some great insight into uh, the world of college basketball officiating because any officiating there's so many critics. Everyone thinks they can do it or they're like, well, these guys got to do better. And it's like people have complained about officiating for hundreds of years. It's not like there's only so much of it that you can change and, and fix and everything. Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, Bill, when you were in charge of the Big West, the Big West Conference for Basketball, you and I happened to be working at Fox Studios together for Mike Pereira. Uh, now it's Pereira and Dean Blandino. But uh, you came to a few of us and you said, hey, guys, uh, our conference is putting together instant replay for the big West schools. And I was like, really? They're not on TV. And you're like, we need some technicians, some replay officials. And I think I said something, well, I don't know anything about that. And you're like, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Whoop. That's the president calling. Not, no, then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you said, uh, yeah, perfect. We train everyone from the ground up, you know, and uh, you know basketball. You work at Fox Studios monitoring games. It's something very similar. So you, uh, I was fortunate that you hired me and a few other people from our Fox Studios staff, and uh, I happen to work primarily at Cal State Fullerton as a basketball instant replay tech, and I've been doing that for a few years. So I don't know if I've ever said thank you for that, but it's been a, it's been a lot of fun, Bill. Oh yeah, it is fun though. That is fun. You got the best seat in the house. You're yeah. sitting at center court, center court on the floor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, There's no better seat, is there? Yeah. Hey, what do you no, want no, to? Yeah. You know, you're very good at it. You were very good. In fact, the Fox guys were very good. Joe Lloyd was. I always remember Luther. Luther came in the second year. He said, "You didn't ask me to be a replay guy." I said, "Yeah, I didn't." You said no. <laughs> oh, he says, "Well, I've changed my mind." I said, "Okay." <laughs> you're in, man. You're in. Yeah. No, it, it's been fun, and it's you, you sit there watching college basketball, and you try to stay ahead of things. When something weird happens, you're like, ooh, they're going to want to look at that and have the monitor ready for the officials. Because um, like you were saying with your NFL experience, it, it's about, you know, time is money, and it's like, hey, let's go. They, they want to expedite the process here. And so you got to be ready for those guys and have it for them when they come over. And, man, I'll say this. In a basketball gym, when you're running the officiate the uh, the – the laptop, the monitor there, you feel the eyes of everyone from the arena looking at you as the officials right. are looking at you. It's sure you really do. weird. I'm sure you do. Those <laughs> guys tell me you do a good job. See, it's the guy that can get the play kind of ready almost before they get over there is the people. That's the person they like, right? <laughs> it has a little feel for what to do. Well, I think that's great. I'm glad you do it. I think it's, it's uh, Yeah. 
No, it's been a lot of fun. It, it, uh, I stopped working high school basketball, but that's a way to kind of still be around the game. And it's so fun to see those guys work, Bill. Uh, I, Tony Padilla, Mike Cyphers, uh, Bill Vinovich, so many good basketball officials. You see how good they really are when you're kind of working alongside them. I mean, they're doing the work. But and, and what I love is how they deal with coaches and personalities. Getting to hear all that, that is gold to me. I love that stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, and Padilla's the best official in the West. He's such a good play caller. A really good. So Mike Cyber's a good play caller. But yeah. Padilla is, is one of the best play callers you'll ever run into. I mean, he, get, he gets the plays right. It's always, I always remember this one coach said, I don't want so-and-so. And I said, oh, he's a good official. And he said, yeah, but he gave me a technical foul. I said, when? Well, about 14 years ago. I said, was he right? And he said, oh, yeah, but I still don't like him. I said, well, let me tell you something. He gets the plays right. You want somebody who gets the plays right? You want somebody out there that doesn't get the plays right that you like? Oh, he says, go ahead and send him to me. Then about after two games, he calls me up and says, you know, the guy's a pretty good official. <laughs> no kidding. Wow. Bill, Bill, yeah. what was it like? like? Why is there with coaches, do, are, do they just not feel respected? Or, or what's the deal? Why do coaches always feel threatened by, like, officials? Or if they do – receive a technical foul. They think it's like some conspiracy or something. Why, why don't, cause it, how do I say this? As a, as someone who observes this stuff, I, I watch carefully. It seems to me that coaches almost forget that the officials are the authority of the game and they listen to a lot of what you got to say, but at some point you got to lay down the law. So why is it, I mean, why does coaches kind of feel that way about that stuff? I don't know. I, 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 it always reminds me of uh, Sally Herrick was uh, she's since passed away with Jim Herrick's wife, first wife. And she turned to me one day after I'd gotten to Newark through Asbury was a good friend of mine. He and I went to Wyoming together. At, he was a little couple years behind, but I knew him from Wyoming. And so he got me hooked up with Herrick now and then. And then we went to a couple of social things with Sally Herrick. And she turned to me and she said, you know, you're a really pretty nice guy for a basketball official. <laughs> now, what that says is, is there's already a preconceived thing about officials in some people's eyes. And Jim Herrick didn't come home and say, you know, I made some bad coaching mistakes. But he came home and said the officials were just awful tonight. I mean, they, they build up a kind of a, an attitude toward who you are and what you are. And it's in the whole coaching side of things, whether it be the coaches themselves or the people around them. They, some, not all of them, but a lot of them have a real strong attitude that's not good for officials. Some don't. Ben Howland was always great. He said, somebody said, you never get after the officials. He said, if I take five minutes and get after the officials, it's five minutes I take away from my team. Oh, that's you know, outstanding. Was, yeah, that's what he said. And, you we know, need more of that. Right. Yeah, he's busy. Yeah. He's doing other things. I mean, that's the other thing. Some yeah. coaches think by complaining constantly that they're working officials and doing this and that. But I don't think with like veteran, uh, veteran officials or veteran presence or, or guys these days, I don't think officials can afford to be worked over by a coach because there's cameras everywhere. You can't, the, the perception is just out there. It speaks volume. So if you get yelled at by a coach and then make a call that's questionable, it's going to show up to everyone. So I don't think officials are willing to be worked by coaches and coaches still think they can do it though. Mm -hmm. No, I know you're right. You're right on. It's, it's, right. it's really, it's really, it's really interesting to me. I don't, I don't, uh, I'm no expert on, on these matters. I just observe and I'm kind of like, well, that's kind of weird. You know, some of the things coaches say and everything. Uh, well, Bill, if you could sum up 
all your years of experience working college football, working, officiating college football, officiating college basketball, being a supervisor of officials in college basketball at, uh, for two different conferences. Uh, now you're, you know, working Fox studios uh, with, with alongside me and a few other guys, you were instant replay in, in the NFL. I mean, it's, is it, has it all been a blur? Is it all, is it all still fun kind of talking about officiating and breaking down plays? What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, no, I didn't need doubt about it. It was too big a part of my life, probably. But I, no, I, uh, I have great memories. Went to some great places. We laugh about it every once in a while. Even old Mike McCabe, I said, Mike, that arena football took us to some of the oddest places in the world. We got to see some places in this world. Tupelo, Mississippi. I, I don't think I'm going back there soon. But uh, you know, we, it, 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 it was a, it was very, very good to me over the years, and I, and I felt, and I enjoyed it. And it, it's just like you say, it kind of keeps you. The basketball keep uh, basketball uh, replay keeps you kind of close to the sport. That's what it did. It kept me in, in closer to the sports, which you love to do. And uh, it was really good. I, I no, no regrets. And feel, I feel very, very, very honored and privileged. I mean, I, I've made a lot of a lot of success in fortunate situations. And, but uh, no, it's been good. It's been fun talking to you. Outstanding. Well, I appreciate it, Bill. You're always very kind to me, even when you're, you're, uh, you, you know, giving us a, you know, crit critiquing us, we'll say with football officiating or, or anything. I, I always appreciated your feedback because uh, that was something you did. You were a guy that division three college football, you'd come out and, and you'd be observing games and you'd, you'd have plenty of good pointers. And I always appreciated that stuff. And it's always fun talking to you. It, it's sad that we're not going to see each other this year at Fox. Uh, with everything kind of going on, but uh, hey, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. I appreciate you coming. Well, thanks for having me. I've, I'm, I'm, gee, that's a lot of fun, and I feel very, very, very uh, blessed and privileged that you let me do it. But uh, uh, well, I'll be in touch with you soon. What do you think? Sounds great, Bill. Thanks for the time. You bet. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks again, Bill McCabe. That was so much fun. I really, really hope to get to see you very soon. I know it won't be at Fox Studios, but if we have to wait an entire year to see each other, well, we'll just have to uh, uh, wait around for that. But anyway, Bill, hope all is well with you and the family. My best to uh, Mike, your son, to get back out there on the football field very, very soon. And again, I hope to talk with you again very soon. It was a pleasure catching up and uh, learning a little bit about your your stories, your journeys. Uh, just so much fun catching up, and I hope we can do it again real soon. Well, guys, that will wrap up today's episode of the Get Home Safe podcast and our week of shows. Usually, however, we have a bonus episode on Saturday uh, that got pushed back because of some uh, work uh, scheduling that happened on Wednesday. Every Wednesday, we have on the program Bill Barnes, a retired police officer and retired college baseball umpire. He was not able to record with us Tuesday for our Wednesday show, so we are going to put out an episode on Saturday that hopefully will make up for his absence this Wednesday. It will still be known as the weekly Wednesday weigh-in with Bill Barnes, but it will be posted on Saturday, so be sure to look for that posted out on our social media platforms as well as wherever you listen to our podcast, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and many other platforms. Uh, we will continue to have Bill Barnes on the following week, so this will not be 
uh, in uh, replacing next week's episode. It will be replacing the episode that we did not have happen on this uh, most recent Wednesday. So we're still going to get you Bill Barnes. He has very strong opinions, very, very random thoughts. He's got to dive into a lot of the things that have been going on kind of with the uh, the protests, some of the uh, anthem controversies, um, kind of how professional sports is kind of uh, kind of uh, against police right now and all, all the different topics that we usually cover. There'll be plenty more to discuss uh, this this weekend, this Saturday. So be sure to tune in with us as we have our weekly Wednesday weigh-in push back to Saturday on a special edition of the Get Home Safe podcast. So be sure to tune in. If you can't listen on Saturday, well, save it up for even Sunday or even Monday and you can listen to a couple episodes of the Get Home Safe podcast as we will be back with more uh, interviews and episodes back on Monday. We usually take Saturday and Sunday off, but because we didn't get an episode out with Bill Barnes on Wednesday, we're going to put him out on Saturday. So that should give you kind of our updated schedule. Hopefully, uh, you know, you guys are able to tune in uh, tomorrow. But if not, again, save it up for later. That's the beauty of all these podcasts is that you can listen to them whenever you like. And I appreciate the people that still go back and listen or re-listen to all of our episodes, all 130 of them almost now. Uh, it, it's just really cool to see so many people are still involved uh, with uh, with this uh, listening to our product. It's, uh, it's very uh, motivating for me. And it is such a blessing to know that other people are listening, guys. So thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. We're right around 10,000 total plays, I think, uh, after Bill Barnes and this episode today that we should be able to uh, hit that hit that pretty soon. I'll let you know for sure on Monday, as soon as we hit that 10,000 total plays mark, it's going to be a big milestone for us on the Get Home Safe podcast. Uh, guys, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is get home safe podcast and our email address is get home safe podcast at yahoo.com we would love to hear from you so send us some of your ideas maybe your questions uh content suggestions whatever the case may be the email is the best way to get a hold of us but if you contact us through the various social media platforms there's no issue with that uh, we want to provide plenty of options for you guys to reach out to us additionally if you look in the episode notes you should find a couple links there. One is to leave us a voice message. That'll take you to where you need to go to leave a voice message for us. It's a one minute limit. If you do want to have your voice heard on the Get Home Safe podcast, that is an option as well as the emails you can send us. Uh, there's also some other links in the episode notes that will provide some information to you guys should you cho- choose to uh, check that out. Uh, it's been a lot of fun this week. It's not over yet because we still got Bill Barnes on Saturday. Uh, but guys, it should be a very fun weekend of sports. I'll be chatting with Bill here very soon to get our Saturday recording done and uh, just a lot of things to be excited about. I hope you will join us on Saturday. Take a day off and come back and join us on Monday. So thanks again to Bill McCabe. Uh, it was uh, it was a pleasure to talk about Mr. David Dorn in our Suds with Studs segment. And Bill Barnes, hope you're ready to rock and roll tomorrow for a fun bonus episode guys if you don't get a chance to listen again push it back to monday or whenever you do i hope everyone has a great weekend and guys no matter what you're doing whether you're out on the town or around in third base get home safe